Welcome, welcome, welcome to Dismantling Racism with your host, the Reverend Dr. TLC. And of course, I am the Reverend Dr. TLC. Our goal is to uncover, dismantle, and eradicate racism and create a world where racial equity is the norm. I am so excited about today's show. I'm always excited about the show. But today, we're going to talk about being brown in a black and white world. Now, of course, we always want to start out the show just by simply centering ourselves and taking in some really, really deep breaths so that we are present to being in this space and in this time, knowing that whatever we discuss in this moment, whatever feelings that come up as a result of the topic, all we have to do is breathe, breathe, breathe. To take a breath gives us life, gives us energy. And it restores us. So I'm simply asking you to take a deep breath in. Breathe in calm. Breathe in peace. Breathe in unity. Breathe out those places where there is either or. But breathe in acceptance where there is both and. Breathe out. Eight. Breathe out othering. And just simply breathe in togetherness. Take a deep breath in and exhale, knowing that you are in the right place at the right time to receive what you need to do better and to help transform the world. Thank you. Yes, yes, yes. Um, I am so excited to talk with today's guest because we again are going to be talking about being brown in a black and white world. And we know that we talk about race a lot in this country, and we talk about it some in other countries as well. But race really is a social construct. It's not real. It's made up. But yet we have to act within the parameter of that made up system. So it doesn't matter whether you're completing the census or going to your doctor's office or completing paperwork in school, you're often asked to check off a box. And checking off that box can be painful, particularly if you feel that you don't meet the criteria for anything that's listed in the checkoffs. So why do we have them? Why are they necessary? And how are people who are biracial supposed to understand who they are in the context of the boxes that are presented? Are they invisible? Do they matter? What are we saying as a people, as a country, as a world, when we ask people to leave out parts of themselves so that they will be more included with the rest of the world? We do that all the time when we talk about race, whether we're blocking out people of of color, Black, Latina, Native American, Asian American, and of course, I speak from the perspective of American, but we do it everywhere. So what are we asking people to do? And we say, pick. And that is often the case when you are biracial. People will say, particularly when it comes to black or white, what are you? Are you black or are you white? Well, today's guest, Anne-Marie Schrouder, will talk a lot about that. And she'll talk to us about her story on a personal level and a professional level of dealing with being brown in a black and white world. She is the author of the title, Being Brown in a Black and White World, Conversations for Leaders on Race, 
racism and belonging. And we're going to talk both about her personal experiences and her professional experiences. But just so that you know a little bit more about her, she assists organizations to create healthy workplace communities where people are seen, heard, and valued for who they are and what they have to offer, where programs and services are impactful, relevant, and meaningful. Her passion is to create opportunities for people to pay attention and notice more of each other, themselves, and the world around them. Anne-Marie is so engaging and dynamic as a speaker and a workshop facilitator. She is an expert. And so I, if, if you get the opportunity to be a part of her programs or her classes, I invite you to take them. What is also amazing about her is that she is the mother of an eight-year-old. And that is really relevant as we're going uh, through our conversations today. And she is committed to building understanding through conversation and connection and really creating a world where her child can grow up and feel like she belongs. So I want to welcome to the show today my colleague and my friend, and Marie Schrouder, who is from Canada. I also want to make sure that I say that because much of what she will be talking about is also from her perspective of being a Canadian. Welcome, 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 Anne-Marie, to the show. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Taylor. It's such a pleasure to be here with you. Thank you. Well, Anne-Marie, we're going to jump right into it because it always feels like we don't have enough time when we're on the show. Um, and one of the things that I first and foremost like to start out talking about, this work of dismantling racism is deep, soulful, and spirited work to me. And I always start from a place of thinking about our shared humanity. And so for me, that place is a spiritual place. And it also grounds me to think about that I am divinely created and so is everyone else. And so for me, spirit is important. My sacred time is important. And it's one of the things that helps to ground me. So I'd like to kind of start out, what helps you to stay grounded in this work? Do you have any sort of practice that you're able to go back to when the world seems to be spinning out of control that grounds you? Uh, I wish I had a regular practice, you know, I'm working on the regularity of the practice, but there are a few things I do. I love to be in nature. That's my, you know, special grounding place. So when I can get out of the city, um, right now I'm surrounded by it. You may be able to see in the reflection behind me. Mm -hmm. um, that's really, really important for me. Spending time with my child definitely brings me back to the importance, right? And, and the connection and, and to spirit. Um, and then... More and more, I try to remember to connect with the ancestors. And that's been a really interesting journey for me because um, those ancestors now are, are all colors. When I close my eyes, I can, I can see them all. And, and I've done, you know, spiritual work and, and energy work and healing work um, in the last several years. And they used to literally be on other opposite sides of the fire. And now they're all hanging out together. So um, I like to close my eyes and remember that even though I often forget that they're there, they're always there. And that really gives me strength to get through, you know? Well, I think that's actually beautiful because one of the things that we talk about within a church setting is we often use this term of being surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that that's absolutely amazing to really think about the ancestors who are helping to get us to this place that we are now. And when I think about your ancestry, it is that mixture of black and white and what that must be like for you for those ancestors to really come together and to be one because of their love for you, actually, right? And, and when you also think about it, we are not the bodies that we inhabit. We are spirit. And so my, my hope and my prayer is that once they're over on the other side, none of this matters and that we're all coming together trying to figure this, this out. So yeah. yeah, I think, you know, that's a really good point. And I think for me, it was just my, my integration that allowed me to see their integration, right? Mm -hmm. That allowed me to remember that we're not, this is the suit that we wear. 
Um, but it was really powerful for me when that shift occurred in that envisioning of envision of my ancestors. It was it was a, a beautiful moment. Mm-hmm. Well, Anne Marie, yeah. I'll say I'm sorry. I can feel them. Yes, and and so 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 Anne Marie, I really want to jump into your book a bit and um, want to encourage people to buy your book because not only is your book for uh, leaders who want to have conversations on race, racism, and belonging. But I think it's so important I would, to, to talk about your personal experience as well, because what the personal experience does is it helps us to think about what we're doing day to day when we interact with individuals. And so I really would like for us to start by, by um, there's an excerpt that I would love for you to read from your book. And, uh, and since I already told you what that is, we're going to just jump right into reading that excerpt, and then we'll go into a little bit more of conversation about it. Okay, so here we go. To me, Black culture, the Black world, in all its diversity, has always felt like something I watch with my nose pressed against the glass. It's close enough to see up close, but not to touch and experience. I keep wishing that I could break through that my skin was darker to allow entry and my knowledge deeper to allow me to sink in. This is a pain I have carried my whole life. Despite my new focus and place of both and, I still feel it. Although less, it still creates a lump in my throat and the pinprick of tears behind my eyes. What have I missed? I will never know. It's not just my color that has kept me apart. It's experience and immersion, my life. It's the invisible barrier created by either or. But that gap has always felt like a shortcoming, like I was not enough. I always wished I was darker skinned, that I was more black. Mm. Anne-Marie, if, if I were facilitating right now, I would allow us time to just breathe in what you've just said. I want us to unpack unpack this idea of invisibility and what it means to stand in this place of not being black enough. And while you don't say it in your your book explicitly in the same way as you say not being black enough, there's this part of not being white enough to to some extent, even though you say, you know, talk about in your book, having grown up, of course, knowing more about your mother's background and growing up in a white world. And so that's the identification to some degree. So when we return from the break, Anne-Marie, we're going to unpack what that means for you and perhaps what it means to many people out here who are biracial and how do we begin to uh, bridge that gap between either or into both and. We'll be right back with Dismantle Racism with the Reverend Dr. TLC with my guest today, Anne-Marie Schrouder. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant, and on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. Are you interested in having a better relationship with yourself, others, and God? Greetings. I'm your host, Dr. George Andow, for the show, A Journey Through Into Awareness. On my show, we journey into the awareness that the mind of God is the true seat of our personal consciousness. We join together each Monday at 7 p.m., so tune in on Talk Radio NYC. Did you know that nearly one in five adults in the U.S. battles mental illness? Hi, my name is Albert Dabba. I'm the host of the show Extra Inning. Extra Innings, I discuss the topics of wellness, mental health, and the experience of surviving multiple suicides within my family. Listen live every Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern, 
to Extra Innings for discussions with sports figures, artists, mental health professionals, and many others. That's Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. back with Dismantle Racism with the Reverend Dr. TLC and my guest today, Anne-Marie Shrouder. Anne-Marie, before the break, we started a conversation around really this invisibility uh, place of being either or and also not being Black enough. Can you talk a little bit more about that and your experience and how it showed up a little bit for you? Sure. So my my overwhelming feeling memory of being of growing up is is one of not belonging. So um, in my family, that was a very, very tangible, physical running back and forth between maternal and paternal um, family members, uh, because there was a rift that I could feel. Um, But in my life, just not feeling like I had a place to land. And I, and there's several, I mean, the whole table, if you look to the table of contents, there's that trajectory, that journey of going from like neither, like, like invisible nothingness to then um, really making a choice of being neither because I was, you know, I don't say I was consciously tired of trying to be one or the other, but um, it's kind of like a ping pong game, (laughs) you know? Um, And, and in high school, even before high school, I guess, when I, um, we moved from Montreal to Ontario, uh, Mississauga, Ontario, when I was just starting high school. And I remember just, I was, I was not black enough for the black kids. I wasn't white. So where, where was I supposed to be? You know, I never really knew where I was supposed to be. And I wasn't, I didn't feel grounded enough in myself to just be where I am. So, so I, I, it's so interesting because a lot of times people say when they are entering into uh, biracial or interracial relationships, oh, love is love. And it doesn't matter. You know, we just have kids and we just love them. I've had that conversation so many times with people. I've had people to say, why are you bringing up race? You're being racist when you say that. But here we hear you talking about being torn and in between what would you say to families about having the conversation about race because all too often people want to just pretend like it doesn't exist yeah we have to have those conversations about race and the challenge is that in a biracial household maybe people maybe some of the people maybe half of the people don't know how to do that and and it's 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 a, it's a big part of who we are. So my, everybody, right? But, but as racialized individuals, that's the word we like to use in Canada, as mm. racialized individuals. Um, let, me, let me make it personal. My mom is European. My mom is white European. My mom and dad are both immigrants to Canada. Okay, so, so my experience of being biracial is confounded by or complicated by the immigrant experience. Yes. Okay? They didn't know what it was like to grow up in Canada. Mm-hmm. First of all. Second of all, my mom is white. So what does what does a white mother know about raising a, a brown child or a black child? Mm-hmm. Now, right? <laughs> very interesting, right? Because you probably just, you know, pricked some feathers there when you said what does yeah, a white but, but say more about that. Tell say more. So love is love. Yes. We love our children no matter what. Absolutely. My mother has told me many times in my lifetime, oh, you know, I don't see your color. You're my child. <laughs> right. Not and I'm realizing like, that that in, a, in and of itself is like, mom, I need you to see my color because it's like a microaggression. Really? It's, it's, right? it's, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I know, and I, and I use this in workshops all the time. I know that what my mother is trying to say is, I don't see you as having less value. Like the world sees you 
you're my child. I know that's what you say, but I'm like, how can you see my color? Like, it's like it's, it's, right? Um, but but we and we have had many conversations about that. My mother, bless her heart, is 83. Um, I love her. She's amazing. She's come a long way in her awareness about all sorts of things, including um, race. But the conversation, she doesn't quite get. Mm-hmm. And a part of the reason why I think it's so important for us to say this, because we we, we want to help people to understand, is because if you do not immerse yourself in understanding other people, other cultures, other races, talk to your child about even how the world will see you, and then to offer even protections right. for those children, because the experiences are different. Yeah, how do I help my child navigate the world if I have had a very different experience in them? And, and that, that could be about anything. But around race, you know, we need, there's things that we need to teach our kids. There's things that we need to, that we need to, you know, set, sit them down and talk about. There's things that I have on my radar more than my mom did and, and less than my other co-parents because they're Black, mm-hmm. right? There's things that I can't help my child navigate through quite as well as, or sometimes at all, as her Black parents because she's got three parents. Yeah. So um, she's so blessed to have three parents. So, parents. <laughs> so, you know, so love is like, don't get me wrong. Love is super important. And there's, there's conversations we didn't have around, even with my dad, there's conversations that we didn't have around my table at home. There's, there's lived experience that I now am going back and wondering, was I about race? Like, mm-hmm. am I like, did I, did this, did I, did this happen? And then I created like, am I deal? Is that am I dealing with the impact of racism? I had nowhere to talk about that. It so didn't tell happen. me, but but tell me about the silence then, Anne You had a couple of experiences that you talk about in the book that you kind of question, like, oh, what is that about? Mm-hmm. Talk about the silence of not feeling comfortable going to either parent to really explore this. You know what? I don't know if it was a not comfortable. Um, Reverend Dr. TLC, I think it was just not even being aware it was a thing to talk about. Like, oh my gosh, that's even worse. Mm-hmm. Not, it's, this is not something that I, that, that you can't, you can't, you can't explain it. You can't describe it. And you don't have the language to talk about it because your parents haven't modeled that for you. Your parents aren't engaging you in those kind of conversations to bring the radar up so that you can navigate the world with an awareness of what it's like to be racialized. I didn't have that. Oh and my God. And, man, and that's Caribbean. Your dad is, say it again. My dad is a black man and he yeah. grew up in the Caribbean. So his lived experience is completely different. Even though he's black, he didn't grow up in Canada. Right, right. And, <laughs> and also with him growing up in the Caribbean, he had people who looks like him who were in power and he got it. He understood what he needed to do to navigate Canada, but didn't really talk to you fully about what to do to navigate Canada. And perhaps if you had been around more uh, people of color, you would have heard some things, right? Yeah. It's also different when you're biracial and you grow up with only white yeah. people because we don't know what we don't know. Absolutely. So yeah. we're, we're, we're in this place of this is my lived experience and it's not until we're exposed do we see the world differently and so what would you say to you know a young black uh, a biracial not not just black but biracial child or teenager about how to navigate being biracial and really owning who you are as a biracial person Hmm. Well, I mean, what I would say now is very different probably than what I would say uh, several years ago. But now what I would say is, you know, we're both. I'm not black and I'm not white, but I'm a little bit of both. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I don't have a black experience. I don't have a white experience. I have my experience. And that experience encompasses knowing what it feels like to be racialized and experience racism, knowing what it feels like to have privilege and be light skinned. And I have to embody all of that to, to make my way through the world and use the gifts that I have to be in the middle. Mm-hmm. Literally, in the, we're in the middle. Right. Well, I, you just said something that, well, you just said something really important too. And it's this whole issue around skin color, you know, because 
in the black community, it's all in the black community, skin color is huge, but it's still all about navigating whiteness, right? Because the closer you are to whiteness, sometimes the more value you're, you're seen to have, to have. However, it also can be a source of severe pain for light skinned black people when darker skinned black folks are saying mean and nasty things. And so when we talk about dismantling racism, we also have to start looking at our own culture and look at internalized racism and how that exists. So, you know, I can think about when I grew up, if a person uh, uh, of color in my community were fair skinned, they were considered beautiful just because they had light skin. And I will never forget when I was in college, I had this really um, close friend of mine who was very, very light skinned. And she, uh, her, her grandmother was white. I think her mom was black. Her dad was biracial. And so she was very, very fair. And she would say to me, well, you know, like when I would tell her, like when I grew up light skin being the meaning that you were prettier, mm-hmm. she said, um, I've seen a whole lot of light skin go to waste then. And so we laughed about it, but there was still a lot of pain in that. And thankfully for me, I grew up in a family that valued all types of uh, skin color and particularly grew up really just embracing the darker hue for me because I could just look at it and say, oh my gosh, look at, at the beauty. Not that it wasn't for lighter skin, But the issue is, why do we need to even have that conversation? And why in 2021 do we still embrace skin color in that way? And so what's really important, I think, in this conversation, particularly for uh, white parents who are raising biracial kids, is to know that history, to know how your kid is going to be perceived, to know the pain, to know the conflict. And that's the thing that I I really hope our listeners will get from this conversation is that as a biracial woman, you you were having a whole different dialogue than either your white parent or your black parent. Absolutely. And there wasn't a consideration. I think the other thing that complicates it is that in this country, if you have an eighth of black blood in you, you are considered black. So when people choose to, to say, well, I'm not black, um, white, or um, this, it creates a lot of tension for black people because we know that that's how we've been you know, labeled if you have an eighth of black blood. But it also just creates complication overall, doesn't it? Because you can be very, very fair skinned and you could pass for white. And why shouldn't you be able to choose whatever it is that you want, if you're comfortable with it. But we have to take another break. Uh, And so we will be right back with my guest today, Anne-Marie Schrouder on Dismantle Racism. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. Hey everybody, it's Tommy D, the nonprofit sector connector coming at you from my attic. Each week here on talkradio.nyc, I host a program, Philanthropy in Focus. Nonprofits impact us each and every day, and it's my focus to help them amplify their message and tell their story. Listen each week at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time until 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time right here on talkradio.nyc. Are you a business owner? Do you want to be a business owner? Do you work with business owners? Hi, I'm Stephen Fry, your small and medium-sized business or SMB guy, and I'm the host of the new show, Always Friday. While I love to have fun on my show, we take those Friday feelings of freedom and clarity to discuss popular topics on the minds of SMBs today. Please join me and my various special guests on Friday at 11 a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Do you run or are ready to open your own business? 
Hi, I'm Jeremiah Fox. I've been operating and opening small business for the last 25 years, and I'm the host of the new show, The Entrepreneurial Web. Tune in every Friday at noon Eastern time for insights and stories on the nuances of running small business right here on Fridays at noon, talkradio.nyc. Hi, I am Joseph Franklin McElroy, host of the new podcast, Wise Content Creates Wealth. It airs on talkradio.nyc every Friday afternoon from 1 p.m. to 2. They say content is king. Well, wise content rules the world. Every episode features tools and tips for content marketing and business people telling the wise content stories of that success. Tune in every Friday from 1 p.m. to 2 on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. I am back with Anne-Marie Schrouder, who's my guest today on Dismantle Racism. We were talking about so much in our last uh, segment, and I want to continue our discussion around uh, being biracial and how does one embody race, which is a made-up construct, as we've talked about. And before the break, we were talking about uh, how does a, a white parent really teach a child of color about what it means to be a child of color and what happens when black parents don't address the issue of race at all. So Anne-Marie, I just want you to jump in and, and, and from any of those places that we were talking about prior to the break and add a little bit more of um, understanding for us. Yeah, I'd be happy to. Um, for me, the embodying part comes from something you said uh, before the break that, that escapes me now, but I, I was thinking about my experience, and especially in high school, and just feeling like there was no place for me to land. And because I always wanted to be more Black, where I really wanted to land was in the Black space. You know, I just wanted to sink in there and just be there and be welcomed and, and surrounded, and that didn't happen. And so I wonder you know, part of that was me, right? Part of that was me feeling not good enough and, and keeping myself at a distance. If my home life had been different, if I had been more immersed in black culture in my home, remember, um, you know, I grew up in the seventies. So I had a stay at home mom and a dad who worked two jobs. Yeah. He was a corporate and at night he taught night school. Um, so I spent most of my time with my mom. I spent summers with my mom because, because she was home with me. I wonder what my experience would have been like in, in navigating um, black spaces and navigating um, black communities if my dad if I had been able to spend more time with my dad if we had had more friends from the you know Jamaican friends black friends if I had had I had I had quite a few friends of color when I was a kid both biracial and black but I think just what we're what we're immersed in at home both from a cultural perspective an awareness perspective like and the conversations that we have, because remember, just because my dad is black, we, we didn't have a lot of conversations about race. Or right. Race, right. right. So exactly. that, even if, even if he wasn't, even if we didn't spend a lot of time together and didn't see a lot of other folks from, you know, from black communities, maybe if we had talked about it more, it still might've been a different experience. So, so that's one thing I thought about. And then I've, I've often thought, and you and I have talked about this before, um, I think it depends on which parent is black. Right. Right. Now, in my case, I, I spent a lot of time with my mom. If my mom had been black, I probably would have had a completely different worldview because we would have been going to, to the black side of my family at, in the summertime. And we would have been right. My grandmother that I spent a lot of time with would have been my black grandmother. Different mm -hmm. experience. So well, exactly. I mean, because so much of parenting there are good dads out here. This has nothing to do with dads, but oh, yeah. moms nurture in a different way. And if your experience is a black experience, because there are plenty of black people who grow up in, in white culture and who navigate whiteness so well that they really don't want to have anything to do with their black culture. But we're talking about in general, those people who grow up 
with uh, having been immersed in Black culture and embraced their Black culture. When you're raising a child, regardless of whether that child is biracial or not, nine times out of 10, they're going to grow up understanding who they are as a Black person, while at the same time, hopefully honoring who they are as whatever the other race that they happen to be. But most often in this country, again, because if you have an eighth of Black blood in you, depending on which state you live in in the United States, you're considered Black. And so I think what we do is we then raise our children based on the ways in which we know the world is going to treat them. And so for me growing up as a Black woman and then raising Black daughters, I have to teach them how to navigate this world. They can, now my kids are not biracial, but they can think, let's say that they're white all they want to. I have to say, you're not. And this is how the world is going to treat you. It's just a a different conversation that we have. But Anne-Marie, before I shift, because I also want to have some time to talk about your own experience with raising your daughter and how it might be different from uh, your mom. Just if someone had the question of why is it why is there this uh, inner longing and wanting to fit into the Black community? Why not just be comfortable in the white community? Talk about that a little bit, because some people might have that question. Eh, you know? Well, my first response, my gut response is, but I'm not white. <laughs> so, so like, you know, go over there. You're more, you're more, you're lighter. You're more like them. I'm not I'm, I might be, I'm not more like, I'm, I'm just as different to them as I am to the others. <laughs> so, so it's, it's back to the like, mm, don't really fit. Now I know how to navigate white spaces. I'm very comfortable in white spaces. I've been told that I'm, that I'm uh, too white, not black enough by other people um, that I have, that I don't have a black gaze. Again, I own that. I didn't, that's not something that I learned, right? You tell our audience what you mean by back, black gaze. I see that I don't see the world through a lens of blackness. Okay. All right. And, uh, and that was, that's in my, that story is in my book. And, and that was something that came up. Oh my gosh. How many years ago now? Not that many, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Six years maybe. Yeah. Um, and I was like, what do you mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> what do you, right. And I had to, I had to really sit with it. And yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I was, I was brought up. One of my poems is I was raised by white people. I was right. Um, so I don't, so I see the world through my, through my gaze as a biracial person, but more so through a white gaze, because that's what I've been immersed in the most. That's what I was taught. Mm-hmm. And know? I think, so, and I think it's important then, because it helps people to understand that, again, you're not either or, and the, and the longing is to know more about who you are and to honor all of who you are, not just pieces of who you are. Yeah. And so I wanted to make sure that we got that message across to people that, and, and, and to say, well, why don't you just accept one or the other, particularly why don't you just accept being white would be to devalue being black. So talk to me a little bit, because I want to make sure that we, we also have this discussion. You, before the break, we mentioned that your daughter has three parents and how amazing is that, but talk to me about what it's like for you raising your daughter and how it might be different from the ways in which your parents raised you around race. Yeah, so um, some of it is very different. Some of it is not so different as it, as it turns out. I, I'm the white parent in this scenario. I'm like one of my poems is, you know, I'm my mom in this, in this situation because there's so many things that I don't know about being black. <laughs> Surprise. You know, I was very conscious when when planning to have a child that I wanted a child who looked like me because I've had so many experiences with child of, of being with my mom and not and having people not recognize us as mother and child. And so I didn't want to replicate that as an adult with my child. Um, and so um, because I'm part of the LGBTQ2SI plus community and I you know wanted a known donor, I got to pick <laughs> who who I was going to have a child with. Um, and, and so I chose um, somebody of color. I chose somebody black, a black man. Uh, coincidentally, Maya's skin tone is exactly like mine. Like you gotta be careful with your words, exactly like mine. We look very much alike. Um, 
And I quickly realized that I was at a deficit because, for example, small example, um, small but big example, I don't know how to do formulas. Mm. So here's here's my black child, right? Um, Who she now identifies as black. For a long time, she wanted to be white. As soon as school started, she wanted to be white. And that was so painful for me. And I didn't get it. I never wanted to be white. I always wanted to be more black. And I'm like, what? So I went through a whole process of what am I doing wrong? Like, we, you know, she's surrounded by people of color and people who are black. What? Um, and I, and I, I didn't know that pain. Mm. Exactly. Um, her dad does her hair, by the way. He's fabulous. He's fabulous, period. And he's fabulous at doing hair. Um, so he. That he, is fabulous no matter what, because I'm shocked. To hear, I'm like absolutely shocked to, to hear you say that because. I don't find that, I find that more and more the younger men are definitely into doing their daughter's hair. That was never the case in, in my household. So, uh, you know, more power to him for being able to do that. It's amazing. So, um, so, so, and I think I, I mentioned before, there's things that I don't know how to help her navigate as well as um, her dad or other mom are going to know because mm-hmm they're black. Mm-hmm. Now, one of them was partially raised in Canada. One of them was partially raised in the, in the, in the Caribbean. So again, there's a different experience of, of growing up. Um, mm-hmm. But I, you know, I have had a moment of, uh-oh, maybe I should have had a white kid because maybe I would have been able to know what that experience was like more. Isn't that bizarre? Mm-hmm. And so, it, and so what, it, what it actually shows is, is that we're always, always growing, always questioning but one thing that I want to say to you, Anne-Marie, and I know this from the work that you do, and I know this from reading your book, you actually know more about raising a Black kid than you think that you do. And it's something that I really want to make sure that I, that, that I impress up on our listening audience. And when I'm talking about the, uh, this in my courses, when you become informed, when you become conscious and aware of race and racism and how it shows up, and you begin to immerse yourself in learning about the other, then maybe it doesn't matter that who you who you love, who you parent, and all of that, because you're coming in with an understanding. And so I just want to um, invite our listening audience to please go out, please take more classes, please understand. If you want to know more about the classes that um, I offer, please go to my website, sacredintelligence.com. And Marie will be sure to leave her information as well before we, we're off this call so that uh, whether you're in Canada or wherever, because she's on the islands now, so she, she teaches from all over, take a class, make sure that you are immersing yourself in understanding how racism shows up and also understanding how racializing people, it really does impact our lives. You can hear it in Anne-Marie's story, not just when she was a child, but now when it comes to how she's raising her own child. We have to take another quick break. And when we return, Anne-Marie, I would love for us to spend the last few minutes talking about how does being in this place of either or relate to the work that you do on diversity and inclusion. We'll be right back with Dismantle Racism. I'm your host, the Reverend Dr. TLC, with my guest today, Anne-Marie Schrouder. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. Are you a small business trying to navigate the COVID-19 related employment laws? Hello, I'm Eric Sauver, employment law business law attorney and host of the new radio show, Employment Law Today. On my show, we'll have guests to discuss the common employment law challenges business owners are facing during these trying times. Tune in on Tuesday evenings from 5 p.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern time on talkradio.nyc. Howdy. 
Franklin McElroy, host of the new podcast, Gateway to the Smokies. It airs on talkradio.nyc every Tuesday night from 6 p.m. to 7. Every episode is dedicated to memorable experiences in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park and surrounding areas. This show features experts and locals who will expound upon the richness of culture, history, and adventure that awaits you in the Smokies. Tune in every Tuesday from 6 p.m. to 7 on talkradio.nyc. Do you love or are you intrigued about New York City and its neighborhoods? I'm Jeff Goodman, host of Rediscovering New York, a weekly show that showcases New York's history and its extraordinary neighborhoods. Every Tuesday live at 7 p.m., we focus on a particular neighborhood and explore its history, its vibe, its feel, and its energy. Tune in live every Tuesday at 7 p.m. on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. We're back with Dismantle Racism. I'm your host, Reverend Dr. TLC, with my guest today, Anne-Marie Schrouder, who is in the islands. And, you know, she looks like she's a little bit hot, but, you know, I would take the islands right now if I could, if I could be there. But Anne-Marie, in our remaining few minutes, I would love for you to just share a little bit about being in this place of either or how it has influenced the work that you do as a diversity and inclusion expert. Sure. Um, You know, bottom line, it influences the work I do because that's the experience that I've had in my life. Um, The same either orness that we see in the world around race, us and them, white and black, you, me, like separate, I've experienced in my body um, as a biracial person. Um, and so I, I navigate that, I navigate creating a connection. That's my, that's my, my mission, I guess. Um, my new mission is to navigate the creation of connections. And so what that means for me is, and I always do this when I talk about my work, the both and, right? We have work to do in our, in our separateness, right? We have work to do as black people, as people of color, we have work to do as white people around racism and race. Um, and if we stay there, we, we, we run the risk of perpetuating the same energies that we're, that we're dealing with and, that we're, and that's painful, right? Mm-hmm. And painful for all of us, right? Differently painful, different, it impacts us differently, absolutely, but we're all impacted, I believe. And so the both and approach brings, you know, it's about bringing those two sides together. We each do our own work, we come together. There's space that I endeavor to create for sharing, for listening, for hearing stories, because as human beings, we love stories. Mm-hmm. We're impacted by stories. We're going to remember stories more than just facts. Um, and it's, I believe it's through those stories that we're like really hearing them, really being open to hearing them, really wanting to hear them and, and know the stories of each other, that we will move forward in a different way and heal. It's really interesting, though, because... I believe that um, this is the work that you've been doing for a long time, but it wasn't until recently and in the writing of your personal story that it seems like you're embracing it in a different way. What, what led to you finally saying, hey, wait a minute, this is my experience. I'm not just teaching this. I, this is, I, I, I embody this. What, what was the thing that says, yeah, I want to tell my story. You know, a couple of things. Um, it's no coincidence, because I don't believe in coincidences, that at the same time as my child was growing up and coming into her own and exploring her experiences of racism and being racialized in North America, that I was also exploring my blackness and what it means to be racialized and what it means to be biracial. It, it was a, I firmly believe she, she showed up in my life to help me navigate that. Because as soon as I landed in the both and space and, and stopped feeling that pull, and I'm sorry, there's a lawnmower now again, 
as soon as I landed in that place, she stopped talking about wanting to be white. Like instantly, wow. instantly, right? And there's a beautiful quote in the book about uh, that, that, she's, that she wrote on her window, right? Everyone's awesome in their own way, even if you're black and white. And I was like, that should be or. But now I know she was talking to me, right? Oh. Um, so it, I have always done DNI, diversity and inclusion work, from the place of learning about bias, understanding how we move through the world and how we're received in the world is different based on who we are. And navigating, understanding that lens, right? That critical component. Mm-hmm. I never niched myself into a particular area of diversity because my belief is if you can understand how bias works and you can understand how your identity is related to bias, then you can apply it to different, right? To different communities. But something happened in, you know, around 2014 that I, that required me to step into racial equity more fully. And I did that. I started working with Children's Aid, um, talking about disproportionality of black kids in, in the child welfare system. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And see, what is, what's interesting is, is that I've actually always come from the opposite uh, perspective. A lot of the work that, that Anne-Marie and I do is very similar, but I always came from the lens of race, partly because I'm Black and I understand the experiences that happened for me in the USA, the experiences around uh, disparities in health and mass incarceration and the, the uh, school to prison pipeline. For me, I always came from that uh, perspective of race because I figured if you can understand race, then you can understand all the other biases. And I know that people are more comfortable talking about the other biases than they are talking about race because as soon as you talk about race people want to say oh but I'm not a racist so racism doesn't require intent or malice right we don't know what we don't know we don't know when we say to people I don't see color that you're actually devaluing them in that statement we don't know when we say to a black person you're so articulate that really it's offensive. We don't know what we don't know. And so for me, I think it's really crucial that we do pinpoint uh, racism when we're talking about diversity and inclusion. And we are thankfully in a place where we're talking about it more. Sadly, it was the result of a man being murdered uh, and, and for the world to see, but we're talking about it more. What I'm also noticing is we talked about it more in 2020, and it's slowly, we're not talking about it quite as much. And so I really want to encourage our listening audience today, please find out more about people of color and our culture, learn more, but take classes. There are people like Anne-Marie who offers classes, people like myself, we offer these classes and we offer them so that you can have a greater perspective. Of, of making your business better by understanding the other, but also if you're raising a child who is biracial or if you are raising a child who is of another race, it is very important to understand. So uh, I am just so delighted. Anne-Marie, do you, do you have any other words that you want to say? I know there was so much that we didn't cover, but anything that you think is urgent for you to say about being brown in a black and white world. Yeah, one last thing I would like to say. You asked me how, why I do this work the way that I do. And um, it, it allows me to be all of who I am as a biracial person to talk about both sides, right? I, I become the bridge. I'm, I'm light enough to not be too black for the white folks, <laughs> black enough to not be too white for the, so I, I have to talk about it from where I am. How, how else would I talk about it? And it's so, it's been really healing for me to land in this space and to feel like, okay, this is how I'm gonna do this work. This is the only way that I can do this work in an authentic way and, and, and navigate conversations and create openings for people like you to do the deeper work. Mm. Well, Anne-Marie, I just absolutely thank you for sharing yourself 
Because I know that for those of us who do this work, when we are facilitating, what people don't understand is the emotional toil it takes on us. Um, and so emotional toll, excuse me, that it, it, it takes on us to even be able to talk about this. And so you've talked a lot about your personal experiences today. So I want to thank you for just being open and vulnerable enough to do that. Tell people how they can get in touch with you. Sure, they can get in touch with me uh, through my website, which is annemarieshrouder.com. Very, very easy to remember if you remember my name. <laughs> right, well, so we'll have that information for them to be in touch with you and they can pick up your book. Tell us again the name of your book. Being Brown in a Black and White World, Conversations for Leaders on Race, Racism and Belonging, available on Amazon and Chapters Indigo. Hey, that is so great. And it is such a great, great book you will enjoy uh, reading the stories, but also it's informational to help people on a personal and a professional level. If you want to uh, see uh, more about the courses I offer, please do go to sacredintelligence.com. It'll tell you lots more about the work that I am doing. We're going to close now with Anne-Marie reading one of her poems from the book. Hey, so this is called Both. It's at the end of the book. If I let you name me as black, then I lose myself in all I do not know about a people, cultures that have given me my color. If I discount what I do know, the knowledge that comes with my melanin, I make you and me invisible again. If I don't own my whiteness, I erase you by my omissions and make spaces less safe. This path is mine, no roadmap. Pain, awareness, and love will guide me and I will be a bridge. Strong, trampled, necessary, leading us to a new place. Standing alone, not one or the other, but part of both, bridging the divide. Ah, uh, thank you so much, Anne-Marie. And thank you, listening audience. We'll see you next time on Dismantle Racism with Reverend Dr. TLC. Stay tuned for the Conscious Consultant Hour with Sam Leibowitz. Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. Hey everybody, it's Tommy D, the nonprofit sector connector coming at you from my attic. Each week here on talkradio.nyc, I host a program, Philanthropy in Focus. Nonprofits impact us each and every day, and it's my focus to help them amplify their message and tell their story. Listen each week at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time until 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time right here on talkradio.nyc. Hi, I am Joseph Franklin McElroy, host of the new podcast, Wise Content Creates Wealth. It airs on talkradio.nyc every Friday afternoon from 1 p.m. to 2. They say content is king. Well, wise content rules the world. Every episode features tools and tips for content marketing and business people telling the wise content stories of that success. Tune in every Friday from 1 p.m. to 2 on talkradio.nyc. Hey, all you listeners looking to boost your business. Why not advertise on Talk Radio NYC with very reasonable rates? Interested? Simply send us a message on our website, talkradio.nyc. Do you love or are you intrigued about New York City and its neighborhoods? I'm Jeff Goodman, host of Rediscovering New York a weekly show that showcases New York's history and its extraordinary neighborhoods. Every Tuesday live at 7 p.m., we focus on a particular neighborhood and explore its history, its vibe, its feel, and its energy. Tune in live every Tuesday at 7 p.m. on talkradio.nyc. 
You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. 